Have you ever noticed how many... It's a weird thing, but a lot of preachers, they walk up, they take their watch off, they put a glass of water down here, ready to drink. I wonder if that's ever taught at Bible college. Uh, Today we've got a bit of a whirlwind tour through the last, or almost the last half of the plagues. And it's been, well, Exodus itself is a really uh, great time if you're looking for exciting stories of God doing things. And the plagues are, for a lot of us, the most exciting parts. Here we are getting towards the pointy end of them. Uh, Last week we looked at plagues two, three and four. Uh, Next week we're going to do a deep dive, or we're going to start a deep dive into the last plague, and the Passover. Uh, That's going to keep us going for about three weeks, I believe. But this week we've got all the plagues in the middle. Uh, So plagues five, six, seven and eight and nine. Um, So there's a few general things that I want to say about those and then I want to talk about what God is saying through them. Uh, So the first quick thing that we've got uh, is that by this stage you may have noticed that uh, during the plague of boils the magicians just didn't even show up. They, They said that they couldn't do anything last week but this week they don't even show up to try. They're not on Pharaoh's side anymore. Uh, one of the uh, plagues that we didn't read through, the plague of hail, uh, some of Pharaoh's officials listened to Moses. Moses warned them, this is what's going to happen, and then if you want to be fine, you need to do this. Uh, if you don't want everything that you own to be completely pulverised by the incoming hail, put, them, put everything under a roof. Some of Pharaoh's officials listened and thought to themselves, you know what, when Moses says something, it seems to happen. So we're going to listen to what Moses says to do. They're not really on Pharaoh's side anymore either. Pharaoh is standing alone. And he's not going to give in. He seems a bit foolish, so keep that in the back of your head. Quick thing number two, Uh, did you notice what was keeping Pharaoh's heart hard? Um, For the first uh, couple of weeks when we've been looking at the plagues, Pharaoh's heart has been hard. We've looked really, like we've had a really good look at that. Pharaoh's heart is hard, uh, partly because it was just ingrained in him. Historically, culturally, Pharaoh's heart was hard. It's been a hundred years of Pharaoh, or a line of Pharaohs, subjugating the Israelite people, or the Hebrew people, they're not Israelites yet. And so Pharaoh's heart is hard already. But it can be hard for us to imagine a Pharaoh not having a hard heart. When we get to the plague of boils though, and the plague of locusts that we didn't read, and the plague of darkness at the end, we're told that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Now, I don't know whether that means that Pharaoh was about to say, okay, I give, you, I give up, you can, you can go. Uh, he certainly gets close to that a couple of times, uh, but we're told that Pharaoh hardened, uh, sorry, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Now, this, let me put it a slightly different way. Pharaoh, uh, God made Pharaoh 
not let his people go. And we, we just sang with Colin that that's what God wanted. So why did God not let that happen? It's possibly an uncomfortable thought. God was extending the suffering of the Egyptians. Uh, hopefully, by the time I sit back down over there, we'll be able to sit with that being uncomfortable and know why it might have been happening. Uh, quick, number th- quick thing number three, uh, I've been told that in some Bible colleges you're told to do sermons in three, so here's thing number three. Uh, I hope you noticed last week during the plague of flies and again this week, as Phil pointed out, God has marked out the Israelites as a place where these plagues won't happen. God increasingly is protecting his people. God set his people aside from the oncoming destruction. I want you to keep that in your mind as well. So there's three quick general things. Um, I've got three things that God might be trying to tell us. If you like structure, um, I'm going to tell you what they are now. Um, We have three, uh, three ways that God is talking to the Egyptians. The first is he's making a personal attack on Pharaoh. Okay, this seems pretty small. Um, Pharaoh's a man and God is God. So he ramps it up and he says that he's also making personal attacks on Egypt's gods. Now, the true God against all of the Egyptian gods, well, that's That's a bit more of what we might think of as a fair fight. But God's not done yet. This is God against the good things that God has done. We're going to save that one till the end. Um, But we'll get there. I just want to pray before we get started with the rest of those. Uh, Dear God, thank you for your word in Exodus. Thank you that uh, you've protected the Hebrews through the plagues uh, and that you've protected your people then and before and ever since and we ask that you would continue to do so. Amen. So as I said we've got three ways of understanding the plagues and what God's saying through them. The first one is that God is making a personal attack against Pharaoh. Uh, Now the easiest way to get people offside with their leader is to have something bad happen. Um, And the worse the thing, the worse the people think the leader is. Um, Even better than that is if you can have the people be unable to eat or be safe in their own homes. If that happens, we write to our local member Um, We send emails to relevant ministers. We call up Talkback Radio, maybe not, but people call call up Talkback Radio and make complaints. Um, And the local member or the minister or whoever happens to be listening to the Talkback Radio at the time gets back and says, look, I'm sorry, we're working on this as quickly as we can and I'm really proud of uh, the efforts that we're already making. Pharaoh doesn't do this. Does he? Pharaoh doesn't get back to his people and say, look, uh, 
we're doing what we can. We're trying to we're trying to rebuild. Um, it's just hard at the moment with you know the constant threat of whatever uh, the Hebrew God is going to do next. And so the people are getting angry at Pharaoh. We can see this, as I already said, the officials and the magicians are already telling Pharaoh, just let them go. Please, just don't try and fight this guy anymore. Uh, We can see it's getting even further than that because Pharaoh is being affected by this as well. Uh, The wealth of royalty is in what they own, uh, their holdings. And so what happens when the largest landowner and the largest owner of all the livestock loses everything? He's not going to be happy about that. This is, this is a personal attack on him and his position and everything that he holds dear. He's lost his livestock. He's not healthy. Uh, he loses, as we read in the Plague of Hales, Uh, the plague of hail, all the crop that was about to be harvested, and then he loses everything else that was growing. It's hard to see the leader of Egypt being a leader in this case, isn't it? But he's got an extra little problem there. You see, in many ancient cultures, and Egypt was no different, the king, the emperor of the land, was the emissary of the gods. He was God's amb- the, the gods's ambassador to earth in some places, and Egypt is the same. He was a living deity. Uh, he just had to do some time on earth before he could ascend and become a true god, as they thought. Uh, and so the job of the pharaoh in Egypt is to make sure that everything happens according to the plan of the gods. It's his intercession that makes everything happen. Uh, His will on earth made manifest is that the crops grow, the calves fatten, the weather is favourable, and the sun rises and sets in the morning. If Pharaoh is not doing his duty then these things won't happen. The calves don't fatten, the crops are destroyed, the weather is not favourable, the sun does not shine in the sky. This is an aggressive attack from God against the power of Pharaoh. And his people have to start thinking to themselves, maybe this Pharaoh guy isn't all that he's cracked up to be. But he's not done. Pharaoh keeps holding on. I don't know what he was holding on to, but he keeps on holding on to some vestige of hope that maybe he can beat God in the end. Seems rather foolish. Uh, The second thing that God is saying uh, through these plagues, he's making targeted attacks on not just the emissary of Egypt's gods, but on the gods themselves. Uh, the gods in Egypt all had their own things that they looked after, hundreds of them. Uh, you had gods that looked after the fireplace in your house. It was the level of the things they had gods for. And as the things got bigger and more important, 
the gods got bigger and more important. And now we're starting to see the big gods of the Egyptian set get affected. Uh, some names you will have possibly heard of. Ra, Thoth, Isis, not Isis in the middle, but Isis from thousands of years before. Uh, other gods, Hathor and uh, Nut, are also directly targeted by God in these plagues. Uh, the god of cattle, the god of healing, the god of fertility and growth, uh, the god of the sky. All of these things get affected. Uh, the god of the cattle, well, all the cattle die. What are you doing about that? What are you doing about that god of the cattle? Nothing. What are you doing when we all get sick, god of healing or gods of healing? And they stay silent. And the magicians who serve them can't even get up to explain themselves. What are you doing, god of the sky, sending hail upon us? Nothing. What are you doing, god of the sun, god of the moon, when it's dark for three days? What are you doing? And the answer is nothing. God says what they do and they have nothing left to say. God declares war on the gods of Egypt. And he fights them in their own house. He doesn't take on the god of the sun and say, right, let's fight over cattle. He doesn't take on the god of healing and say, I'm going to stop the sunshine. No, he takes on them in their own domain. And he wins. And just like uh, the people must have been thinking when Pharaoh could do nothing. Surely they must be thinking the gods can do nothing. That's the second thing that I think God might be saying. Uh, the third one is God is speaking against the good things that God has done. Now this is a bit strange to us to hear because God gives good things. Uh, but if we read through the Bible, Job tells us that the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Uh, but if we read through the Bible, we start to see a bit of a pattern. Um, so we're going to go on a whirlwind tour of the Old Testament, uh, starting at Genesis chapter 1. In Genesis chapter 1, God puts the world in a good and right order. Things happen the way that God wants them to happen. Animals are made. They breed and they multiply. Uh, there's no need of healing in the Garden of Eden. Uh, farming, tending the soil is easy. Uh, and the sun and moon are both created and then placed, or there's light and darkness, and then the sun is put in the sky in the daytime and the moon is put in the sky at the nighttime. And this is the good and right order that God establishes in the creation. And if we look at these plagues, God reverses that good order. Well, the, the animals, if they're dying, they're definitely not multiplying. There's sickness that we didn't see in the garden. It's hard to tend the soil. 
um, if there's locusts and hail. And there's no sun or moon in the sky and no light. What's God doing? He's taken the good creation and he's almost thrown it away. It's almost as if he's saying, this is what you get without me. And we see this pattern if we go through the rest of the Bible. Um, When people choose to abandon God, he allows them to. And then he shows them what it's like without him. Uh, So if we continue through the Bible, Genesis chapter 3, the people, Adam and Eve, turn and they say, we don't need God if we can be like God. And God says, if you don't want me, there's the door. And you will die. And you will be sick. And it will be hard to tend the soil. Uh, In the flood, we read that all of the people had said, we don't need God. And then God says, I was the one who separated the sea and the land. There you go, have it back. Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, We have the same thing. When the people of Israel, hundreds of years after the events of the Exodus, turn to God and say, or turn to Samuel and say, we need a king, not someone who just speaks for God. God says, if they don't want me, you can have Saul and the series of kings that follow after him. Which leads to the people saying, we don't want you, God. We'll have other gods. And God's saying, well, if you don't want me, be taken by the places who worship those gods. And he sent the Assyrians and the Babylonians to take the Israelites out of Israel. When people abandon God, God doesn't abandon them. He says, this is what you want. And this is what we see in the plagues. Uh, We see it in the New Testament as well. It's not just uh, if people ever say to you, God in the Old Testament is a God of anger and God in the New Testament is a God of wrath. Tell them no. Uh, This happens, we're told about this in the New Testament as well. Uh, In Romans, we read uh, that God delivers people over to the desire of their hearts. This is Romans chapter 1, verse 24. They exchange the truth of God for a lie and worship and serve what has been created instead of the creator who is praised forever. And if we jump ahead a couple of verses, because they did not think it worthwhile to acknowledge God, God delivered them over to a corrupt mind, so they did not do what is right. They are filled with unrighteousness, evil, greed and wickedness. They are full of envy, murder, quarrels, deceit and malice. They're gossips, slanderers, God-haters, uh, arrogant, proud, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to their parents. So they are senseless, untrusting, or untrustworthy and unloving and, un, uh, sorry, and unmerciful. And Paul finishes that section by saying that although they know God's just sentence, that those who practice such things deserve to die, They not only do them, but applaud others who practice them. This is the same pattern that we see 
in the plagues. People say, we don't need you, God. And God says, off you go then. Try. It's a horrifying thought, isn't it? But this is why uh, God extended, or one of the reasons that God extended his suffering, or God extended the suffering of the Egyptians, is because they continued, Pharaoh continued on their behalf to say, no, we don't need you, God. Who is this God that I should let you go and worship him, is what he said when Moses first met them. And he continues to say this. I don't have three points to finish with. I only have two. Uh, Because there's only two things to say at this point. Uh, What happens to the Hebrews? Well, they're set aside from this destruction. They're protected. And God later names them as his holy people. So what happens to people who say they need God? Well, God sets them aside and protects them and names them as his holy people. And what about people who say that they don't need God? Well, God says, okay, if you don't need me, as you say, go without me. And they will see the same destruction as the flood and Sodom and Gomorrah and the people of Israel when they rejected God and the plagues. That's not a happy thought, but it's one that we need to sit with. If you're someone who says that you don't need God, talk to someone who says they do need God. If you're someone who says you do need God, talk to someone who says they don't need God so that they might see that they do need God. I'm going to pray. Dear God, uh, we need you. Uh, The Hebrews needed you. Uh, Everyone has needed you and will continue to need you. Uh, We ask that uh, you'll continue to protect us and that those who reject your good and right ways might uh, see the light and come to you. Amen. Amen.